We're continuing in a series called First Followers. We're looking at the first followers of Jesus. The title of the message this morning is In the Name of Jesus. Have you ever been given access to something exclusive? I'm talking club-level seats or behind-stage access or first-class service because you mentioned someone's name. So just the mention, not my name, someone else's name, just the mention of this person's name changed everything. And the authority, it wasn't yours. It belonged to the person's name you dropped. Or have you ever been told by someone, just, just mention my name, tell them that I sent you, and they'll take care of you. And once you mention that person's name, everything's different. Acts chapter 3 and 4, it shows us what it looked like for Jesus' first followers to teach and minister in his name. It meant hope and joy for many, but it was a threat to anyone who was holding on to or clinging to their own authority and power, unwilling to let it go. So remember what's happening in the book of Acts. Jesus is leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all peoples, all nations, to live under his reign, his good reign, his righteous reign. And they're beginning in Jerusalem. Let's look at Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Well, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. We'll pause there. There's two things, uh, actually three things I'm praying that we see here in our text. First, that Jesus' power is displayed. Second, Jesus' power is proclaimed. And third, Jesus' power is over every other power. First, we see Jesus' power displayed or demonstrated. It's revealed in what we've just read, these first 11 verses. I want you to imagine this scene. Peter and John are making their way to the temple. This is their custom. This is their routine. It's time for prayer. They would have walked this way every day for prayer. And there's this crippled man from birth who was placed at this particular gate of the temple every day to beg for money. He had no other means of earning a living. And we expect Peter and John to give the man some cash. 
Remember who Peter and John are. They're apostles. They've been meeting together with God's people. They're sharing everything. Certainly they have a little cash to give this man. But they're apostles. The miraculous was common. It was something God was doing as a sign, a confirmation, affirmation of the gospel message being proclaimed. But also remember, Peter and John are part of the promised community of God's people. Jesus' followers, the body of Christ, who are filled with the Spirit. The presence of God is with them. Do you remember in Acts 2? I know you do if you were with us. The flames of fire that were above their heads and the wind that filled the room. God's presence, God's Spirit came upon them. What this means is that Peter and John are part of the new temple of God. Not a building, but a people. Where God's presence and power dwells. They're on their way now to the physical temple. The one that was newly constructed. It had taken 60 years to build. This was known as Herod's temple. It was a temple that served a purpose in God's story of redemption, but was now really a shadow of what was to come in the people of God. The temple and the tabernacle before it was the place where heaven and earth would meet, where people encountered God's presence and power. So let's remember that as we as we explore this story. The temple was the place where heaven and earth would meet, where, pe- where people would experience God's presence and God's power. So here we see Jesus' power displayed. The crippled man looks up at them after being told to. It's interesting. They have to tell him, hey, look up. Look at me. I mean, someone's actually paying attention to this man. Someone's treating him with dignity and value and worth. L- look at my eyes. Look, look at me. How long had it been since he had looked someone dead in the eyes? He wasn't dismissed. He wasn't ignored. He was being treated as a human. And he expected to get something in return. Of of course he did. And Peter says, I don't have money, but what I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. In, In other words, let's remember what Christ means. In the name of Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the King In the name of Jesus, the promised one that we've been waiting for, that the prophet spoke about. In the name of Jesus, walk. Walk. He told him to walk. Now the word marched out of Peter's mouth with all the authority of heaven behind it. Walk. Heaven and earth were about to meet. He reached out his hand, and his ankles and his feet were restored, and he walked. He jumped. He shouted. The man received something much more than he expected, right? What a crazy, wonderful scene. We can be so used to reading accounts like this that we just keep going. Ah, okay, yeah, walk. Yeah, you walk. Oh, okay. Drinking our coffee. He walked. And I'm trying to put myself there. I'm trying to imagine how I would have responded. Everyone starts to get stirred up and see this is the one who'd been sitting at the gate every day. He'd been crippled from birth. Imagine the joy that this man was experiencing. Imagine the tears and the exuberance, the shouts of praise and wonder coming from him. 
And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people came running to them. A crowd started to form. Of course it did. Of course it did. So we see here in this healing, Jesus' power displayed. In the name of Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he did. Second, we see Jesus' power proclaimed. Now what happened after this man was healed? Well, let's read about it. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, when all the people had gathered because of the stir, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned, you disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, In the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah, his anointed one, would suffer. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, well, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And we'll stop there. Jesus' power was clearly displayed in the healing of this lame man from birth. And now, Peter and John take this opportunity to proclaim the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus to heal becomes a platform to proclaim the power of Jesus to save. And people are scratching their heads, they're covering their mouth, they got their hands on their head, they're thinking, how on earth did they just do this? Did they just heal this man? What's going on here? And my family and I, we enjoy this television show on Netflix called The Carbonero Effect. I don't know if you've seen it. 
Um, it is a hidden camera magic TV show. So the guy, the host, he does all these crazy things uh, that just people are seeing with their eyes, but they're hard to believe. And the best part, I mean, he just, he's doing all these tricks, and, you know, and, and they think it's real. And, and they're just freaking out. What? It's just, it's, they don't know how, whatever he's doing, and he's, he's dressed up as wh- whatever it is, but he's, he's freaking them out. And the best part about this show is to see the responses on the people's faces. And then, of course, when he reveals, hey, you're on this hidden camera magic TV show, they're like, oh, of course. But this is not the case with Peter and John. There are no hidden cameras in Acts chapter 3. And essentially, they're saying this. Okay, let me tell you what's going on here. Let me explain why this shouldn't surprise you. Peter says, essentially, promises have come true. Promises have come true. What God proclaimed through the prophets and through Moses, uh, through Samuel, through Abraham even, they've come true in Jesus. And so in verse 13, we see, he says, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. What is he doing? Peter's actually beginning with a very famous quote that he's pulling from Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters God at the burning bush, and God reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not just any God. I'm the God. I'm the God of your fathers, and I'm revealing myself to you. And he even gives him his divine name, Yahweh, which means he he who is, the great I am. He's the ever-present God. His name reveals his presence. And here Peter is starting and saying, it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's glorified his servant, Jesus. He's glorified his servant. And and later he says in verse 26, he has raised his servant. What's this servant language? Well, in verse 13, he goes on to say, Jesus is the innocent servant of Isaiah 53, essentially is what he's saying. By calling Jesus God's servant, He is referencing the servant song of Isaiah 53, which speaks about the servant of the Lord who would do something radical for the people of the Lord. Let's read about what the servant of the Lord will do. We're only going to read part of it. I encourage you to read the entire thing in Isaiah 53. We're going to look in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse, we'll begin in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Speaking of the servant of the Lord. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He's describing Jesus. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Oh, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him, on the servant, the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 11. After he has suffered, the servant, after the servant has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. 
and he will bear their iniquities. And we'll stop there. Peter is acknowledging Jesus is the servant, is Yahweh's servant, God's servant, the one Isaiah spoke of, the one Isaiah was pointing to. He came to free those who were enslaved to sin. He came to bear the sins and the infirmities and the weaknesses of his people. Verse 14, Jesus is referred to as the holy and the righteous one, the just one. Again, titles that were given to the servant of the Lord in Isaiah. Titles given ultimately to God. Verse 15, he refers to Jesus as the author or the prince of life. In other words, Jesus is the initiator. He's the one who initiates life. He's the sovereign one who brings life. He's the pioneer, the one who who leads the way through death itself, who took on decay and corruption and brokenness. He faced it for you and I. He was raised to life. Do you remember, wherever Jesus went, he brought life. He's referred to as the author of life. But do you remember, as we studied the Gospel of Mark, um, we, we saw wherever he went, he brought life. He was pushing against the powers of sin and darkness. He was showing his rule and reign over sin, over brokenness, over the lame, over evil spirits, over sin itself. Wherever Jesus went, he brought heaven to earth. He displayed God's power. And Peter goes on to say to the gathered crowd, you handed him over. This one the prophets speak of, this one that Moses said would come, this one that even Abraham was looking forward to, you handed him over, you disowned him, you killed him. You killed the author of life. What a, what a crazy saying. What a, what a crazy truth. What a paradox. Killed the author of life? But that's only the first half of what Peter says. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. There it is. He's a witness to the resurrection. Filled with the Spirit once again to bear witness to Jesus in his resurrection. Then he says in verse 16, it's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that this man has received his healing is what he's saying. Now what does it mean to come in the name of Jesus? Someone's name represented everything that is true about that person. It represents here the power and presence of Jesus himself. The early church understood that Jesus was with them. Do you remember as Jesus ascended, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and know this, I will be with you to the end of the age. Okay, but then he left. And then he sent the helper, the spirit. So is Jesus with them or is the spirit with them? Yes. Jesus would be with them, with us to the end. They recognized that Jesus was continuing to minister, was continuing to show himself faithful and powerful. Through them, they came in his name. You know, hanging out with someone that has recognition or influence can be a lot of fun, right? Years ago, um, Valerie and I, we got to go to Disney World with Uncle Jesse. You guys know Full House? 
Uh, so John Stamos, it's a long story. I'd love to tell you about it because it's my Uncle Jesse story. <laughs> but all I'm going to say is this. We went to Disney World. We went to a couple other parks. We got on all the rides first. They prepared our table, you know, in advance. People were looking at Uncle Jesse and looking at me, looking at Uncle Jesse, <laughs> looking at me. Okay, what? Um, and it was surreal for me, too. But, you know, after a couple hours with Uncle Jesse, I got used to it. And... And we had a good time. But everywhere we went, we were given access. Man, the red carpet. Because he was a person of influence. Uncle Jesse. So how does Uncle Jesse relate to Jesus? (laughs) I'm not sure. I just wanted to tell you the story. Peter's saying this. Complete healing has happened to this man. Complete restoration and wholeness. And it's the result of faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in Jesus' power and authority to heal and restore and renew. Oh, the risen Christ with all power, with all authority is here on the scene. And that is what has brought this restoration about. Then he goes and he talks about how God fulfilled or he kept his promises. We see this in verses 17 through 24. Peter mentions Moses. Moses was a prophet. He mentions Samuel, uh, who is the prophet who anointed King David to be the king of Israel. And remember the promise given to David that he would always have, what? An heir on the throne. So Jesus, who is the heir, the, that king of Israel, the king really of the world, Then he reaches as far back as Abraham, which I love, and he's saying this, listen, I know you're holding on to the ancient promises given to Abraham, that through his offspring, all the peoples on the earth would be blessed. Well, it's coming true in Jesus. And that blessing is starting right here with you today. And I'm sure you could hear a pin drop when he said that. What? So Peter's showing his audience, and we're learning, that the entire Old Testament is a single story pointing forward to something God was doing through Abraham's descendant, through Jesus. Okay. And then he says in verse 19, and and this, this is the, I mean, it makes sense. This is the response to what he's saying. Repent and turn to God so that your sins would be wiped out. I want you to imagine a chalkboard or a whiteboard with all the embarrassing, everything that you could imagine that you you feel ashamed of just written on that board. You don't want anyone to see it. And then then someone comes along and just wipes it clean, completely clean, completely clean. He's saying, this is what happens when we turn, when we repent, we turn away from trusting in ourselves and we turn to God so that our sins would be wiped away. Wiped away, remembered no more. The one who remembers and sees all decides to forget. Times of refreshing will follow, he says. There's a promise of full restoration. One day, all things will be restored when Jesus returns. But these times of refreshing are like the appetizer before the meal, like the preview to the the movie, or like the splashes of light before the dawn. These are times of refreshing that come by God's grace and renewal, and they're happening here and now. Times of refreshing. Times of God's power at work by his spirit. He says, turn back to God. Turn away from yourselves. What's what's your response, church? What's your response? Have you repented? 
Have you owned up to your sinfulness? Have you recognized your need for a Savior? Have you, you ever think, I know deep down, I, I'm going to pay for the terrible things I've done. Maybe you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you still are convinced that God must be holding your sin against you. How could he wipe them away? How could the entire record of my wrong be clean? It's too radical. It's too much. It's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Nope, it's not. It most certainly is not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Why? Because that free grace came at a high cost. The price has been paid. And our unbelief or our beating ourselves up is a vain attempt to add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You can't do it. Neither can I. How dare us try to add to the finished work of Jesus? It's not our place. Our place is to humbly receive that forgiveness and walk in, in just humility and in, in a response of gratitude for what God has done in Jesus. When you start thinking grace is too radical, that's when we're starting to understand grace. In chapter 4, the people with authority in the temple are seriously annoyed and disturbed. Why? Well, the apostles were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And in order to understand how revolutionary this message sounded to those authorities, it's important to understand what their view of the resurrection really was. So the Sadducees were a group, a religious group that represented the priests. And they accepted the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible, as God's holy word, but they, they denied resurrection. And they also represented the privileged aristocracy of the day, and they worked closely with the Romans to protect their own political and economic interests. Bottom line, this group was motivated by fear. They did not want to lose power and influence. And any talk of another power or influence over theirs was a threat. And maybe any talk of Jesus' power and authority over yours is a threat. It might be a threat. It might feel like a threat to you. They take Peter and John under their power. The irony of this. They take them under their power. They arrest them. They place them in jail for the night. And meanwhile, Thousands are added to the people of God. They were trying to silence and stop the power and authority of Jesus, and they couldn't. Probably over 10,000 believers in Jerusalem at this time. If the group of men grew to about 5,000, there were probably over 10,000. Finally, I want us to see, number three, Jesus' power over every other power. Let's keep reading. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. All right. All the religious authorities are present. The Sanhedrin. This is a council of 12 elder, or 70 elders. I want you to imagine like standing before the Supreme Court. This is the high court of the temple. By what power or name did you do this? In other words, who do you think you are? Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and there is zero hesitation. There is zero shrinking back. Now listen, the high priest was the representative of God's authority. This is the central institution that administered God's law in in, in life for God's people. And they're standing before the council that had the responsibility to make final decisions on on, on interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures. And Peter doesn't blink. There's zero hesitation here. So here we have the authority of the earthly temple that was fading away and the authority of the new temple, the people of God, not a building. And they're going head to head. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 118. It's one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, sung by Jesus on the night he was betrayed. It was known as a psalm of the temple. Everyone in his hearing would have had this psalm memorized. It's a psalm that celebrates God's new day of salvation, God's life-giving power, God's victory over all the powers of the world. And he says, hey, listen, Jesus is the stone that you builders have rejected. He has become the cornerstone. What does that mean? Cornerstone, the stone that holds everything up, everything together. It's often an oversized stone used at an an important spot in the joining of two walls to bear the weight of that structure. Jesus is the cornerstone. And he's saying, you builders have rejected the cornerstone. In other words, God is building a new temple. And Jesus is the cornerstone. And you've rejected him. Such boldness. 
There's so much irony here. You've rejected Jesus, but God upholds him. God vindicates him. And the conclusion is this. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. There's nowhere else to turn. He holds all salvation, restoration, deliverance, healing. It's found in no one else. Now, is it intolerant to say this? Are the exclusive truth claims of the Bible something we need to tiptoe around? Absolutely not. Tolerance isn't about agreeing with everyone. It's about bearing with others. Your belief system doesn't change what is what my belief system is. If you believe different than me, your belief system doesn't change what the Bible says. So are we going to practice tolerance? True tolerance. Not that I have to accept that all things are relative or that everyone's belief system is true. No. There's an exclusive truth claim that Peter and John are laying out. It's no other name. There's no other power. Jesus is the way we read up in John. And it's not intolerant to say it. It doesn't require compromise to practice true tolerance. Finally, Peter and John display an unusual clarity and courage. Such boldness. They brought the highest court in their land before the judge of all. They said, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You see what they did? They're standing before the Sanhedrin, the high court of, of the temple. Which is right? And they bring that court before the judge of all. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. This isn't arrogance on their part. This is allegiance to Jesus as king, as the one the prophet spoke of, the one who has been raised to life. It's faith in the resurrected Jesus, his power over every other, and that power is at work here today in 2019, here at local church St. Pete. That power, the power of Jesus raised to life, it means hope and joy for you and I, but it's also a threat to anyone clinging to their own power and authority. It's true. Are you clinging? Are you clinging? Are you holding on to what power and authority you think you have? Or are you coming before Jesus, the one who rules and reigns, who's resurrected, and who holds all power and authority and calls us to bow our lives to him. Are you coming to him in surrender? And that can feel scary at times. But we can trust that he loves us. He's got a proven track record. The next time that you and I pray in Jesus' name, let's remember what's behind it. All the power, all the authority of heaven itself.